there, and welcome to episode 20 of the One Life Podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. Our mission at One Life is to inspire you to take risks, dream big, and to live your life on purpose. Guys, I want to take a quick second and tell you about our sponsor this week, The Porter Box. The Porter Box is jewelry that tells your story. We love this company so much and the heart behind it. When I need a special gift, The Porter Box is one of my go-tos for sure. If you have a special verse or a saying you want to remember, a picture of a loved one, or my favorite thing to do is create a necklace for the word I'm focusing on for the year. They work with you to create a beautiful piece of jewelry around what's special to you. You can check them out at theporterbox.com and use the code ONELIFE15 to receive 15% off your order. And today we have such an exciting episode. Can't wait to get into it. We've actually got a couple episodes for you. We're going to tell you all about that in a second. But yes. uh, have you heard of this crazy thing everybody's <laughs> talking about called the Enneagram? Uh, some of you know exactly what we're talking about. Others are like, Ennea what? Ennea who? <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, it's similar to the Myers-Briggs or the disc profiles that you use. But what the Enneagram is known for is its insane accuracy to describing how humans are wired. It's incredible. And we thought, we talk about the Enneagram so much and it's affected our life so much, we better have an expert come on and explain it well. So guys, we got the best of the best for you. Mm-hmm. It is with great joy that I tell you our very special guest today is none other than the Enneagram master teacher, Suzanne Stabile. I think we could say that the Enneagram is Myers-Briggs on steroids. It's so much more. And the reason it's so much more is because out of all the systems that are like it, a strength finders or disc or whatever you use, out of all those systems, the Enneagram is the one that has a spiritual component. And the Enneagram is also the one that shows you what you can do to be healthier than you are, to make better choices than you make. And that's why I love it so much. Y'all, if that does not get you fired up for this episode, I don't know what is. Suzanne, (laughs) man, she has been teaching the Enneagram for over 25 years. I love it when someone has committed their life to something for that long. She's written two amazing books that have impacted our family and us personally and many others as well. One's called The Road Back to You, which is kind of the general overall understanding of the Enneagram and how it all works, the nine different types. And she has a brand new book called The Path Between Us, which shows us how to use the Enneagram as a tool to have healthier relationships. Yeah, it is amazing. I love both of her books. So wanted to let you guys know that we have organized our conversations with Suzanne according to those themes as well. So just to make it easier to understand and hopefully remember and apply to your life, which is the goal every week. Part one is Suzanne's incredible story and a basic overview of the Enneagram and a description of all the nine types. So once you listen through part one and you know your type, you can move on to part two. If you need a second to take a breather and think through it, if you're an overthinker like I am. There will be a test. (laughs) Then you can take a second. And then when you're ready, you can come back and listen to part two, which is where we dive deeper into how the Enneagram can help us grow in our relationships with each other and with God. It's so good, y'all. We love this conversation. And, And seriously, here's the deal. Whatever your understanding is of the Enneagram, whether it's extensive or just brand new, you've never heard of it before today, you're absolutely going to fall in love with it today and with Suzanne as well. Yes. Welcome to your new obsession, Absolutely, the Enneagram. Enjoy. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for being here today. It is such an honor to have you. 
thank you for having me. It's my honor too. Awesome. Well, for our listeners who don't know you yet, would you kind of just take a minute and tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? Sure. I'm 67, so I might have to take two minutes. (laughs) You're just getting started. You have all the minutes you want. Yeah. There's a lot there. Um, I was born uh, in 1950 in Floyd Ada, Texas, which is uh, at the bottom of the panhandle in the South Plains. And actually, I was adopted by the doctor who delivered me and his wife. And wow. um, yeah, it's a, a, I must have been really an adorable newborn because yeah, right? they had biological sons who were 18 and 15 and had not ever discussed adoption. And uh, my dad was up all night at the hospital delivering me and taking care of me and my birth mother. And literally the next morning at coffee, he said to my mom, I, I think we should adopt this baby. So um, I was in Floyd Ada until I graduated from high school and went to SMU. And my life dream was to coach college women's basketball. So I started coaching a high school team when I was still in college. And ultimately, I was the first women's basketball coach at SMU after Title IX. Wow. Wow. So neat. So what year was that? When was that? Uh, 77. Okay. Okay. Way back. (laughs) In those days, there was no funding for women's athletics much. So I ended up, because I so wanted to have children, after my first child was born, I um, tried that for a couple of years and thought, you know, this just isn't going to work. So I had taught at a Catholic high school before I got that job. And I went back to that school and taught senior theology and had kids and we had two foster kids and then I had three and I was in a very complicated marriage. Uh, Lots of people in the sixties had lots of complicated issues around relationships, I think, which might be one of the reasons I've been interested always in how relationships work and ended up working with a priest in the Dallas area, starting life in the Trinity ministries in the Catholic church. And after three or four years of us working together, he decided to leave the priesthood, not because of me. He had been with the Vincentian Fathers from the time that he was 14 until he was 26. So um, he says God called him into the priesthood and he knows that God called him out of the priesthood. And he asked me on a date and took me to Chili's. (laughs) Yeah, That's romantic. It was very. At 40, I was his first date. So, um, yeah, he still wants to go to a drive-in movie. And I I keep telling him it's really not that great. But (laughs) he's he's still all about that being something he's missed from his formative years. So for the last 30 years, he's been a United Methodist pastor. And um, we've been working in Life in the Trinity Ministries. And I uh, learned the Enneagram from Father Richard Rohr, who is a dear friend of ours and was our spiritual mentor at the time. And he encouraged me to study it for five years without talking about it. And um, I did that, which is the ninth wonder of the world. That's hard. (laughs) Did you know? Yeah. (laughs) Never mind. It's Tuesday. (laughs) I'm telling you, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I guess I did it because I trusted him so much. Um, And then I started teaching. I've been teaching for 25 years. So I've been doing the Enneagram for a long time. Joe and I have four children. He adopted my three and we had a fourth. 
and we have seven grandchildren and an eighth on the way. And I'm crazy in love with him. That's awesome. He's the best human being I've ever met. And so living with him is um, quite a gift every day. And it's challenging. I'm a little feistier than most pastor's wives. And (laughs) he's taught me uh, most of what I know about being faithful. Hmm. So I kind of wanted a couple of years ago to go ahead and fold it all up and have Joe and I go live in a rural setting somewhere close by so we could be around. All of our children and grandchildren are in the Metroplex. So we could be close to them, but kind of just read and look at water and mm-hmm. hang out with each other. And he just said, you know, I, I just don't think that's our call. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're not faithful, we won't be happy because we won't have peace. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, we're happy and we have peace and we're tired. <laughs> Everything's good. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Gosh, I relate to so many things you said, Suzanne. I am also married to my favorite human being on the planet, and it is such a gift. Chris is the same. You know, he's just the best human that I know. So I feel the same way. And I'm also a feisty pastor's wife. So Indeed. I am <laughs> very, very excited to hear you say that as well. But we are just so honored to have you here today. We're huge fans of you and your work and of the Enneagram. And, you know, there's so many great personality tests out there. We love so many of them. But the Enneagram, there's just something magical about it. Um, I went to Belmont University in Nashville and studied it there years ago. And and just fell in love with it. When you hear the descriptions of the types, you just that you feel like somebody jumped inside your head. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, how did they know that about me? How did they know that? So for those of our listeners who are new to the Enneagram, would you just take a second and give a brief overview of the Enneagram kind of as a whole, and then give just a brief description of each type? Sure. I'm happy to do that. I, I do want to start by saying that I'm not a big fan of the tests. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think in our experience, which is quite extensive, they're wrong an awful lot of the time after people hear their number taught orally. And I think that's because your Enneagram number is determined by motivation for behavior and not by your behavior. Okay. So that's also a reason why we shouldn't assign numbers to other people. Because unless we know people really well, we don't know what motivates them to do what they do. So To the people who say, ah, we all do the same things, that's true. To the people who say we're all the same, that's not true because our motivation for what we do is so different. Right. So the Enneagram is at least 3,000 years old, maybe older, and it was an oral tradition until the 1970s. And essentially, it describes nine ways of seeing and nine ways of processing how you see and what you see and deciding what you're going to do with the information that you've taken in. And the idea that we all see the same thing, if we're experiencing the same thing in real time, is simply not accurate. And so most of our relationship problems, and certainly most of our disconnect, has to do with not seeing what other people see because of our Enneagram number. When I first started teaching, I've been teaching for 25 years, but when I first started teaching, there was a lot of discussion around whether or not it was genetic predisposition or environment that determined your Enneagram number. And in the last 10 years or so, it uh, has kind of become common language among 
Enneagram masters who've been teaching for a long time that genetic predisposition probably is the greater cause or the greater reason why we are the number that we are. So you're the same number all your life. Uh, For people who think that the Enneagram is reductive, uh, I would actually say I think it's expansive. And for people who say, I don't want to be put in a box or we shouldn't put people in a box, my response to that has always been that I'm just showing you the box that you're already in. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's great. So I think it, in terms of language that most people are familiar with, I think we could say that the Enneagram is Myers-Briggs on steroids. It's like, (laughs) it's so much more. And the reason it's so much more is because out of all the systems that are like it, uh, strength finders or disc or whatever you use, out of all those systems, the Enneagram is the one that has a spiritual component. And the Enneagram is also the one that shows you what you can do to be healthier than you are, to make better choices than you make. And that's why I love it so much. I love that. That's awesome. So I I think in encouraging people to learn about the Enneagram, I would say that I get literally hundreds of letters from people saying it changed their marriage, it changed their relationship with their adolescent children, so much of that. Yeah, that's amazing. So would you just describe briefly each number? I know that's hard and we could just sit here forever and talk about each one extensively, but just kind of give a brief overview of each one because I know people listening are going to hear that and immediately identify with one of them. Sure. I'll be as brief as I can, which is really hard for me. So <laughs> you guys owe me because generally when, when I teach a Know Your Number workshop, I teach each number for 40 minutes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So uh, since you haven't invited me to be nine podcasts, I'll just, <laughs> I'll run through them. Okay. Okay. And right. We'll have you back on to do more for yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. I would love that. All yeah. right. Ones are called the perfectionist and that's because of the way they see. When ones walk into a room, they see what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And they feel like it's their responsibility to make it right. And that includes whether or not things hanging on the wall are crooked and whether or not things are orderly. But it also includes how people do life and how people uh, respond to life and injustice. Okay. Ones are people who struggle with anger. Uh, you know, the Enneagram numbers are all associated with a passion or a sin. And it's the seven deadly sins plus two. I'm not sure why Evagoras Pontus <laughs> woke up one morning and thought, we need two more sins. We need two more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to cover everything. Yeah. But it worked well for the Enneagram. Nice. So ones struggle with anger. I would kind of rename that resentment because ones are angry with themselves first. Mm. And when they can't hold all the frustration they feel about the imperfection in the world, and the anger they have toward themselves, then they are angry. Uh, Twos on the Enneagram are called the helper or the giver, and they walk into a room and see who needs something or who they might be able to help. And that sort of sounds so holy, doesn't it? It's all, <laughs> it happens to be my number. But, right. <laughs> uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let me just say that twos in being givers often give to get. Mm. And that's subconscious very often. But what they're trying to get is place, like they think you won't want them. 
mm-hmm. if they aren't able to sense and meet your needs. So that's kind of how they make their way in the world. And two struggle with feelings, actually. They seem to be people who have lots of feelings and who are in touch with their feelings, but they feel what other people feel. Mm -hmm. And they struggle if you ask them what they're feeling or what they need. Um, Threes on the Enneagram are called the performer. And Enneagram masters have assigned Enneagram numbers to countries. I live in Dallas and Dallas is definitely a three city. Right. And so we're a three city in a three country. Mm-hmm. Yikes. And because we all <laughs> yeah, because we all live in a three country here in the United States, we all have some three in us. And that has to do with image crafting. Threes are really good at crafting the right image for whatever audience they're with. From their perspective, they're just trying to give you what they think you want from them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're people who cut corners and they're good salespeople and they are trendy and politically savvy people. And they too are disconnected from their feelings because they find feelings to be messy and unpredictable. So they take in information with feelings, but then they set them aside right away because they could get in the way of handling business. Mm. Fours are the most complex number on the Enneagram. I think there are fewer fours than any other number. So I run into a lot of people who don't know a four well. And fours are called the romantic. And I think what they want most is to be known and to be understood. But they are committed to being authentic. So often fours are in are, are members of subcultures. You remember the kids who were called goth kids about yeah. 15 years ago, you know, or yes. 20. They had, I went to the mall one day. Those kids were always hanging out at the mall and I just went to the mall and I walked up to a group of them and I said, if I buy you dinner, will y'all just answer like a hundred <laughs> questions for me? And they all said, sure. That's so, a fun activity. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, t- I took them to the food court and I bought what they wanted for dinner. And then I just asked them questions because I thought they would all be fours and they were. And uh, I said, why are you guys dressed like that? And they said, well, there are two reasons. And one is we so desperately don't want to be like everybody else. Hmm. And the other was, so this is before MySpace, much less before Facebook or mm-hmm. anything. And those kids didn't go to the same school. So when they dressed the way they did, they knew they could find one another. And they knew they could be in relationship with one another because uh, they saw the world uh, differently than the other numbers do. So I, I think fours are very complex, but they're also the people who pull out deeper feelings from the rest of us. You know, you, you give a four right. something from a depth you don't give to other numbers. And interestingly enough, particularly for those of us who are in ministry, fours are the only number on the Enneagram that can bear witness to pain without having to fix it. So they are underutilized in our churches because they're the people who can sit with you in pain. Right. Yeah, that's so good. Fives on the Enneagram are called the observer, and they are observers, but it's because they have, they have a measured amount of energy. So fives wake up every morning with the same amount of energy. And every encounter they have during the day, 
takes some of that energy from them. So they kind of have learned to pace themselves so they can get home and back to their more private world before they run out of energy. And we refer to them, because we don't know the Enneagram, as aloof or distant. And they're just trying to measure out this energy because it's like manna. You, you can't save up from the day before. You get an allotted amount every day, and when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Fives are uh, head people, so they think they can work out everything in their heads. And they're the only number that's really capable of neutrality. So they can be in the middle of something and really not have a side. Hmm. My mom was a five, and they're very loyal and very dependable, and they would never tell your personal stories without your permission. They hold things well. Hmm. And I think fives are inventors. They're the people who want to know what makes something work. Hmm. So I bet you if we went to the patent office in D.C., we'd find that there were lots of fives who had invented things that we all benefit from. Right. I'm from a school of thought that believes that probably about half of the people on the globe are sixes on the Enneagram. And sixes have different names. They prefer to be called the loyalist. I'm not terribly happy with that description because (laughs) there are other numbers that are equally loyal. But sixes don't like to be called the devil's advocate, and that's one name for them. I prefer that because sixes are yes, but people. And they're yes, but people because they don't trust themselves. So they don't trust you either because they they haven't found people to be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And they're people who are going through life looking for courage. Uh, And I try to teach them that what they need to be looking for is faith, that courage won't give them what they need, but believing in something bigger than them will give them what they need. Sevens are called the epicure on the Enneagram, and that means simply that they take delight in the best possibilities. Mm -hmm. And sevens are the people that we all like to be with because they're fun and funny, and they tell me that they wish people knew their deeper side, that people don't seem to be interested in what's beneath the original way that they engage with us using humor and common interest and things like that. It's interesting to me, I'm, I'm going to, if we have time, I want to come back and talk about the difference in essence and personality. Yeah. But I want to use sevens as an example to say that we like sevens for who they are in their personality. And when they start to do a deeper spiritual journey, we kind of ask them to be who they used to be. So we're not good at supporting that journey in sevens. Eights are the most aggressive number on the Enneagram, and they are leaders, and they're strong, and they know themselves by what they're against instead of by what they're for. Hmm. Um, Eights are people who don't generally make friends at work because they don't trust people to not betray them, so they have a few friends that they hang out with and they're collegial at work but their friends are usually outside of where they work. We culturally really still love male eights. They're quick and smart and quick to lead and big in the room. And we all like that. And you put the same gifts in a female eight. And she's pretty much culturally referred to as a bitch, which is very hard for female eights. Girls on college campuses come to me to talk to me about that almost everywhere I teach. And they say, you know, people don't even get to know me. 
Mm. So that's tricky. And nines are peacemakers. So nines are people who the way they see is they see two sides of everything. And you know, on every level in Enneagram work, the best part of you is also the worst part of you. Or the worst part of you is also the best part of you. So we can't truncate ourselves. You have to embrace all of you because the best part of you is also the worst part of you. So the best part of nines is they see two sides to everything. And the worst part of nines is that they see two sides to everything. Right. So they're great mediators, but it's hard for them to make decisions. Mm. Thank you so much. I know that was tough to yeah. really boil each one down to just a couple of minutes. And we could spend all day talking about each one, but for time's sake, maybe just pick a couple that you could share about what your very favorite thing is about them. And then maybe just like you said, that also posing as an obstacle as well. Gosh, it's hard to pick. So right? I, I, I think I want to pick the numbers that I think are the least understood. Okay. That'd be great. So my favorite thing about fours is their commitment to authenticity and the fact that so many fours are in art forms, but not all. And um, the obstacle for them is that they just don't want to sell out and they really don't want to be like everybody else, but they envy people who have a normal life. That's what they would say. They don't like anything that's average or normal, but they envy the fact that other people seem to be so comfortable in the world and people don't seem to run into the complexities of making their way in the world. And I think one of the reasons that I am choosing that as one of the numbers is because I think children who are fours are often children who are misunderstood and therefore not included. And I think everybody on the planet wants two things. Everybody wants belonging and everybody wants their life to have meaning. And I think fours struggle to find belonging because they're different from the rest of us. And they want to hold on to that uniqueness because it defines them. So I have lots of respect for them, too. Um, And I think the other number I'll pick, which is I think this maybe the most misunderstood number is eights. Eights are justice oriented and they happen to be people on the Enneagram who will maybe have 10 deep, close friendships in a lifetime. So they're not easy to get to know. Uh, They're future oriented. They're big picture thinkers, but they are real good at worrying about the common good. Eights and sixes are worried about the common good. And I don't think we have enough of that going on. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, as children, culturally, we don't like little girls who are bossy or little girls who take charge. That's not okay with us. And I think they struggle with that. And male eights culturally are encouraged to be more of what they are. And they lose their tender side and being stronger and bigger and stronger and louder. And so I, I think they get a kind of a hard push there. Those are great. I, I wish we had more time so we could unpack all of them. But, you know, Jenny and I mentioned at the beginning of our time together that like your books and what you've been doing has deeply impacted us. You know, 
the road back to you was so good and so powerful. I actually literally took my entire team through it and we didn't do the test thing that you talked about. We literally had, I had my whole staff and I said, everybody pick a number and we're going to teach each other each one of these numbers. And then out of that, people were able to determine what their number was. Mm -hmm. And it was just a great exercise for us to all kind of understand each other. Well, that being said, you have a brand new book coming out called The Path Between Us. And it actually is out right now and people can get it. And so I want you to tell us, if you can, how did this book came to be and, and what really is your hope that folks will get out of it? Oh, thanks for asking that question. I love it so much. If I had given you a question to ask me, it would be that one. Oh, great. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. <laughs> so, um, I want to back up and just say that I think Ian Cron and I, in The Road Back to You, wrote a really good primer for people to learn their number. I really believe in that book, and I'm really proud of it. From that, I don't want the Enneagram to be cocktail talk or water cooler talk. I don't want a lot of number thumping is what Ian Cron calls it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people walking around haphazardly saying, I'm a two, what number are you? I, I think it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. So relationships is my thing. And it's my thing in part because I'm a two on the Enneagram. But it's also my thing, I think, because I'm an adopted child and Growing up, uh, my parents had two biological children who looked like them, and I didn't look like anybody. So I spent my childhood trying to figure out who I acted like in my journey to find belonging. Mm. And so I've been watching how people act for a long time. And I think there is a path between all of us that connects us. And if we learn to walk the path toward somebody and meet somewhere along the way, I think we can stop much of the rhetoric that is sarcastic and cynical and a put down and unloving because we'll have the tool of understanding. Y'all, I want to get a cup of coffee, sit on the front porch with her, just hang out for a really long time. I know. she's. I just love listening to her talk. She's the most soothing voice. She's awesome. And she's got so much to offer, so yeah. much wisdom, so much so that this is going to be the first part of two episodes. Yep. And she's just getting started, y'all. I hope you listened to the description of the nine types and you immediately thought, oh my word, that is me. Or, oh my gosh, that's my spouse. Or my mom or my kid. I'm sure that you had those thoughts racing through your head. So now that you know your type, you can listen to part two as we dive into how the Enneagram can help us in our relationships with God and with each other. And one great thing I would suggest that you do is share this with your spouse, with your friends, so that you can engage in a conversation together and say, hey, I heard this thing about a number. And, And so they can have some context. Shoot them over this episode. You guys can talk through it. And then you can listen to episode number two together. Yeah. And as always, you can find the links to pick up a copy of Suzanne's books, as well as all the info for today's episode and the next one in our show notes over at our website, onelife.work slash podcast. And we're also doing a giveaway this Woo-hoo! week of Suzanne's new book, The Path Between Us, over on our Instagram account, One Life Tribe. So come find us over there if you'd like to enter. All right, y'all. Well, head on over and check out part number two right now. 
But we're gonna close this out like we do every single time. Remember, you only have one life. Live it well.